You remember Time Cop? Great Van Damme film. I, of course, remember Time Cop. So I remember seeing him in this movie. I'd seen him before in a few other things here and there. But Time Cop was the time I really remembered him. Now, granted, I was not watching Time Cop because I'm like, this is going to be some good acting in this fucking <laughs> film. No, because I at that time I actually thought like Van Damme was a good actor. Well, Van know. Damme's... Dude, Kickboxer, man. Kickboxer's good. Bloodsport's good. We, we're going to have a Van Damage podcast, he I'm sure. He won Nakumite. All right? He did win Nakumite. And no one fucks around with the Kumite, okay? <laughs> that is some serious shit. I think they base Street Fighter on all the fighters from the Kumite. 100%. Anyway, saw him in Time Cop, and I was like, oh, he's, he's really good. Like, he's, he's, a good, he's a good actor. Saw him in Cliffhanger. Yeah. He's been in everything. He's one of those guys that's been in just so many fucking things. Secret of My Success, I think he might have been uncredited, but he I remember him in that. Elizabeth Town as Bill Banyan <laughs> is the one that always stands out to me. Yes. I mean, when he's on the screen there and he's like, and that thing I did per se, and I'm sorry per se for the, and just his delivery always good. He's always great. He's one of, he's the definition of a, that guy. And he's, he's perfect in everything he's fucking in. And he's like, had unlike long, Ron Silver from Time Cop. Yeah. He's had like a long career too, which I appreciate. Yeah. He's still doing shit. Yeah. Still out there acting. He's, he's great. He's actually going to be in the film that we're going to discuss today. Absolutely. He is. That's right, folks. Today we are talking about My Cousin Vinny. So welcome to Cigarette Burns. It's Cole and Jed as usual. And we are so pumped for today's episode. At least I know I am. How about oh, you, Cole? God. I, I'm both pumped and really, really scared because Jess has been on me since we told her that we were going to do this episode. And there have been a few episodes here and there that she's been like, don't fuck this up. Do not fuck this up. <laughs> and it adds a little sauce when she's both telling me don't fuck it up and quoting the movie to me by saying, don't fuck it up. Like, that meta exactly. level of intensity has uh, been weighing on me, man. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, no shit. Uh, my buddy Jordan, too, has been like, hey, you guys really need to do this episode. I can't wait to hear how you handle this and that. And I'm like, well, man, you're, like, fucking putting a lot of pressure on me. I don't, I don't deal well with that kind of shit. So we'll see. Hopefully it's good enough. Before we recorded, maybe you should have uh, said what his make sure to handle these topics worse. So are they covered? Are we going to cover them? I think we're going to cover them for sure. Right. For sure. You know, we're definitely going to cover right, the stuff We're, we're going to give it our best about. shot anyway. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. You ready to just uh, you get right into it? or? Yeah, let's dive in. Because there's like, this is a cast and crew that you look back at and you go, incredible 90s. Oh, yeah. This is, this is a bunch of like number one draft picks, even though, you know, like Marissa Tomei, complete unknown at the time. I think all she had done that anybody had seen was Oscar. Yeah. Which is both a terrible movie and one that I've seen maybe 11 times. Yeah, I think I've only seen that one like once, honestly. I barely remember yeah, it. That, that one, that's Sly trying to like flex a different muscle. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't necessarily have that muscle, but there's other people in the movie are like having fun with it, which is really good. So... Uh, but she was in that, and I don't really remember her from anything else before it. Um, yeah, I think maybe she might have been on some TV shows, uh, done some stuff like yeah. that. But yeah, I don't really remember her from anything. I think it was maybe the the dailies or a cut of Oscar or something that someone from My Cousin Vinny, the director, writer, whoever, saw and was like, hey, I think she'd be really good in this, and brought yeah. her out. But this was also like primo Pesci. Let's talk about Pesci for a second here, because the run that that man has in terms of Good film after good film, and even when the film is not that great, he's amazing in it. Like that film, The Super. Yeah. Okay. Not a good movie. I'm gonna like not Eight a heads good. in a duffel bag. <laughs> he's great in in like in both the movies. Like he's he's just good. He's yeah. He looks like the the amazing amazing thing about Joe Pesci for me is 
he looks like an actor where you're like, I know exactly what this guy's going to act like. I know what he's going to be like in every movie, but he's not. And he has the ability to have an emotional level to things and weight behind things where you're like, it's not just aggression. You know, it's not just Tommy and Goodfellas. Right. He can be sensitive. He can be all these other things. And he shows it in this movie. He shows it in a lot of films that, he, that he's in. And that's why he's just a fucking timeless great actor. Well, and he's oddly charismatic. Yeah. You you look at him, you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, even when I'm watching Goodfellas, like, that's not charismatic. He's not charismatic in Casino. No. Um, you know, he's he's bulldog guy. But when you get him, like you said, in these other movies, you're like, he. there is a softer side. Like, even in Home Alone. Yeah. That he apparently couldn't stop cussing uh, during <laughs> the filming. Sounds but like him. There's just that he he has that inherent humor and compassion that really helps this movie in particular because there's a lot of times you think he's getting ready to go off the hook and get really mad or just scream and yell and then he just fades out on the end and like softens the edge and there's a humanity to it that you're surprised. I'm I was surprised. I don't want to put that on you. I was surprised when I started noticing sort of the full breadth of uh, range that he had. Well, he, to me, keeps the movie very light in terms of tone throughout. It's it's all on him. Like, if Eric Stoltz was doing this one, I think we both know that <laughs> Stoltz would have hit it heavy. He would have been like, oh, my God, if I don't get this shit done, these guys are going to fucking die. They're going to get electrocuted. Their heads are going to get caught on fire. He would have tried to do all this shit and been, like, the most serious shit. But Pesci's in there, even when he's in contempt of court... Vinny's like fucking playing drums on the back of the seat in the bus, what? keeping everything light. It's amazing. I want to ask everybody listening out there. So again, hey guy, uh, <laughs> what would you think of us adding a segment to this podcast called "What if Eric Stoltz was in this movie"? Because <laughs> that's a very peculiar go-to for you, right there. <laughs> it, it is. If you put Stoltz as my cousin Vinny. You know, and obviously it all comes back, and you know this, and, and of most of the listeners, I'm sure, it all comes back to the Back to the Future thing, because I've never seen Stoltz really, he's tried to do comedy, he does not do it very well, in my opinion. Uh, even Lance in Pulp Fiction, it's a fairly serious character with what he's talking about. There's not really a lot of humor coming from from Lance, you know? Right. There's He's got one gear and it's, yeah. it's the full Stoltz. That's what you get. That's that's what you get from him. So again, I, I like the idea. I think it's a great fucking idea. I don't care if the listeners don't want you know don't like it. I think we should <laughs> I think do we it. Should do it. Yep. So we also like we had Pesci in his go zone. I mean, he had he won the Oscar for Goodfellas as this yep. was filming. Exactly. Uh, we uncovered Tomei, and she's spectacular. We're gonna say that about three hundred thousand times during this podcast. She's we also the most had... perfect woman there's ever been on this earth. Oh my god, she's so good. She's just so good. We've got Ralph Macchio. He's so he's perfect in this role. He really is. He he does everything he needs to do. To me, the only one who's not is Stan. Stan's Stan's out of place. He's over the top to fucking a degree that I don't need. Dr. Barry Farber, get the fuck out of here. All right. <laughs> you, you cheated on Rachel Green. You don't deserve to be in my cousin Vinny. No shit. But can't I, do that. The, the weird thing about Macho was like, how did you not really act again for like ten years after this? I don't get it. And they did that Funny or Die episode on yeah. it, where it's like, oh, he probably developed a heroin addiction, or he, <laughs> no, he's no, just married just, with kids and you know, yeah. just living his life. I mean, he was on Entourage as himself a few times. Great on that. He's Obviously just he's got Cobra Kai now, but I don't know why either because he's he's a good fucking actor. Well, his IMDb just falls off a cliff after this, and I remembered specifically watching the movie Beer League. Just because yeah. it was like, oh, 
Ralph Macchio's in it. And then <laughs> it's a terrible movie. So I stopped watching like halfway through. Like, I'm like, I, even the Mach can't save this, but he's fantastic in it. Fred Gwynn in his last role ever is yeah. incredible. The tone, he's so fucking perfect. Both the, the audible tone of his voice and the tone of his performance is yep. spectacular. And knowing a bunch of judges, like, I love it. And we'll get into all of that. The director, Jonathan Lynn, I, you know, Clue is one of my favorite cult type movies, which I'm sure will come up in our cult classics episode, but yep. that's a great, great film. And what I love about that is I see shades of how he directed Clue in this film. You know, Yeah, I can see what you're talking about. Yeah, he totally. Let, he, he lets scenes walk. He lets them develop and sort of stew, I think, a little bit longer than other filmmakers would have done. And that's the amazing thing about this film is it's like two hours long, doesn't feel that at all. You also don't feel rushed at any time. Everything seems like it's moving along, but moving along at a very natural pace. Right. And there's zero fat. Yeah, there's not a lot of fat in it at all. And, and it's not a thick script. I mean, there's not a ton of dialogue, but you do no. have, they do punctuate scenes with like really good monologues. I thought, you know, for a movie that's got, I think four or five monologues I can think of off the top of my head, they're really good. They're really well placed and they don't seem written to. You know, it doesn't seem like he wrote the monologue and he's like, I don't care how I got to get there. I got to get to this point. They, they really seemed organic. Yeah, nothing's forced. We got uh, Jim Trotter III, played by the amazing Lane Smith. Lane now, I have a, motherfucking Smith. Lane Smith is a very special place in my heart because I have seen every episode of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Obviously. With the great Dean Cain and Terry Hatcher. And he plays, you know, Perry White in that in that uh, series. And, and he's great in it. Looks a lot like... Dan Rather, and they play that up a lot on the show. So much like Dan Rather. And uh, real quick, though, before we continue to leap praise on Lane Smith, did you own stock in the WB or CW or whatever? Because like every show that you've ever said, I've seen every episode on, it was living in the WB. Well, here's the thing. I mean, if it's a Superman show, obviously that explains Lois and Clark and Smallville. Sure. One Tree Hill and a few other ones. (laughs) That's just because I like quality television. (laughs) And a few other ones that... We ain't going to name right now. We ain't going to name right now. No, no, no. But anyway, I don't want to digress and get off on that tangent. Okay. But uh, no, obviously Superman, special place uh, in my heart. Perfect age range when Lois and Clark came out as well. And so Lane Smith saw a lot of him. And I, you know, didn't see him in a ton of movies though. Well, I Lane Smith got to me from Mighty Ducks, obviously. That was my first Yeah, there you go. Him. Obviously, yep, yep. And then I was a huge son-in-law fan. Me too. And it's so gonna, you'll find that in recommendations <laughs> later on. <laughs> and so I remember seeing those movies really kind of back to back. And I was just like, this dude is awesome. And he's a yeah. dick in Mighty Ducks. Like, don't get me wrong. He's the villain. But he's just such a good actor. And he's got that great accent that's a little Southern, but it's not caricature And he's just like... I would hang out and just listen to Lane Smith read me children's books. I think that would be a good <laughs> use of my time. That would not be hyenas. <laughs> hyenas crime. Our little old ancestors. <laughs> this is no good stuff. It's great, great writing, man. This script is fucking awesome. And there's like three or four phenomenal cuts that are just quick cuts to people's faces that you're like, that's genius. Yep. Doesn't make a meal out of it. Just quick cut. And like that, that is the joke. The cut is the joke. Dale Lawner wrote this. Um, also wrote Love Potion Number no. Nine, same year as this film. So I don't know that there's ever been a screenwriter who has written two perfect films for the same year. Okay, 
I don't know. I, I take your smirk there well, as you don't agree up, with me on Love Potion number nine. I almost coughed up a lot of Kool-Aid right there. You can't say something like that while you notice that I'm taking a drink. Come on, man. Sandra Bullock. I know who's Kate in Donovan. it. Kate Donovan. I get it, man. It's a I'm great fucking movie. It's one of those like, does not age well. It's a movie. <laughs> it's a movie. <laughs> it is a movie. And it's you great. Correct. Which makes it a great movie. <laughs> so, But he also did Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, one of my favorites. Yep, yep. Blind Date, you yep. know. So we've got, got the Bruce Willie. <laughs> <laughs> but we've got good people, you know, making and we forgot to mention Jonathan Lynn also did another really great movie, I think, The Whole Nine Yards. I love yeah. that film. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Sequel, not great, but the whole nine yards is great. So we've got really good folks involved and uh a broken record for us on this podcast is usually if you can look at really good performers, really good writers, and really good directors, you're probably gonna have a pretty decent film. I do want to talk about Austin Pendleton real quick because mm-hmm. he, as John Gibbons, the um, public defender, he is perfect and he is in about three and a half minutes, maybe max of the film. And he's one of those memorable characters I've ever seen. The first time I saw this movie, I was in tears watching his opening statement. Me too. You Because you don't expect it at all. It comes out of fucking nowhere. The, the genius of his part is when he meets with Stan, he looks like lawyer guy he talks like lawyer guy there's nothing he doesn't come in looking uniquely qualified he doesn't come in looking like he doesn't know what he's doing he's just tell me your side of the case yeah it's it's amazing it's it's what he's able to do with that limited time and he's always he's one of the first things i think of when i think of this film and i mean it's so fucking funny and when he gets back to the table and he's talking to stan we're going to obviously get into the details when we start talking about the plot a little more here but he's like, what about all that stuff we talked about? Well, I got a little nervous. <laughs> a little nervous? Well, I'm getting better. <laughs> this is better? It's like, what what I fuck? love, though, and I feel bad for him because I, I did read that he's actually a stutterer in real life. Yeah, and, I did read and, that. And worked really hard to overcome it and kind of didn't want to take the part because he's like, I don't want to make a joke of it. But it's I'm glad that he did because I can't imagine anybody else doing it the way that he did it. Yeah. And it's spectacular. I do I don't know if you looked up any what if casting sort of who could have been different parts in this movie. I saw a couple of things like Will Smith for Stan, something right. like that. Yeah, that Robert was De Niro one. for Vinny. There's a couple couple out there. According to Andrew Dice Clay, this was <laughs> written as an Andrew Dice Clay vehicle. Uh-huh. Where he was supposed to be Vinny, but because the adventures of Ford Fair Lane tanked so spectacularly hard. They pulled it and they were like, nah, we don't we don't really trust putting it in Dice's hands. I just thinking about this movie with Andrew Dice Clay, and I want to admit, I think he's become a decent actor, but back then he was doing Dice Man in everything that he ever did. Yeah. And this would have been Dice Man is a lawyer. May have been the worst movie I could possibly think of. I mean, Hickory Dickory Doc in this <laughs> film, I just don't see it, man. I really don't. That would have been fucking awful. Oh, bru- I mean, as bad as The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, which is pretty hard to watch. Pretty regardless. brutal. Uh, we got Chris Ellis coming in as JT, another just great character who's on there for a perfect amount of time. And obviously Chris Ellis has been in a lot of a lot of things. We talked about him in for That Thing You Do. Yep. And I don't know, just as you said, and again, don't want to be a broken record, but great people, great script, good director. All comes together to just make a really memorable, memorable film, and I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of ready to deep dive into this thing. What about you? That was wrong. Yeah, let's see, because I want to know. Like, is the defense wrong? 
a funny thing happened to William and Stanley on their way to college. At what point did you shoot the clerk? They got framed for murder. Whoa! Wait a minute! Now, two kids from New York are in deep trouble. It's time to make your phone calls. The clan's here. They're in bread. They sleep with their sisters. In the deep south. Some of them do. And only one man can save them. We need to call an attorney, a great attorney. He's not your typical hero. We got an attorney in the family. Great, who? He's... My cousin Vinny. You stick out like a sore thumb around here. Oh, yeah, you blend. You graduated from law school six years ago. What have you been doing since? Studying for the bar. That's a lot of studying. It's his first case. Now, did not tell you dress appropriately. You were serious about that? It's their last chance. The two youths. Did you say youths? Yeah, two youths. What is a ute? But with Vinny's style... I wore this ridiculous thing for you. And Vinny's girlfriend. May I have permission to treat Miss Vito as a hostile witness? Do you think I'm hostile now? Wait till you see me tonight. Joe Pesci is my cousin Vinny. You two know each other? Yeah, she's my fiance. Well, that certainly explains the hostility. There's so many great quotes in this movie. <laughs> like this is oh, so it's amazing. This is going to be so difficult not to just want to play every single quote that's in it. This is this is a Tropic Thunder problem. It really is. It really, and you know what? To me, the majority of them are all Tomei. Yeah. Because I'm going to take a second here. I just want to discuss the perfection that is Marissa Tomei. Yep. Because she's never been bad at anything she's been Correct. in. In interviews, she comes off as the most perfect person. Yep. And I don't have anything else to say about her because when it's you're that perfect, you're just good all the fucking time. And I would just, you know, like to like meet her. And honestly, in Seinfeld, when Costanza has the whole Marissa Tomei thing, that gave me and probably a ton of guys that are like me hope, like, oh my God, maybe Marissa Tomei is edible. Because <laughs> we're all idiots, all right? We're all, we're all fucking morons, okay? But that was like one of the greatest times of my life is like watching that, that Seinfeld episode and being like, oh shit, I wonder if this is real. <laughs> I wonder, because they know people in the industry. I mean, they know they got the real Marissa Tomei. She playing herself. She wouldn't have done it if it wasn't maybe, true. Maybe she's into this. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm thinking. You, you know what I'm saying. I mean, she was the epitome of perfection, and you brought it up. They made a whole television episode around it. Mm-hmm. I will say this. They did. Underrated? Very much so. Because her career didn't explode the way I thought it would. I thought she would have had like a Sandra Bullock type career. Yeah, she should have. She definitely should have ne- taken nothing away from no. Sandy Bullock, who's amazing as well. But she totally like like deserved it. I get the feeling I didn't do a ton of research into her background, honestly, because it just you know hurts me when I do because I'm like, oh, we're so perfect sure. together. But <laughs> she didn't take your last <laughs> that name. That doesn't sound like a I soccer at all. <laughs> no. Um, in all seriousness, though, I think she likes the theater a lot more than she likes mm-hmm. doing movies. But I think there was a quote where she's like, "The paycheck in movies is just so much." Yeah, better. of course. So she might be doing that a lot, a lot of stage I hope so. work. I mean, I, I just always expected her to be this gigantic star, which she kind of should have been. She definitely has that kind of juice. She has that kind of talent. And every time I saw her after it, it was more supporting role stuff. And I was always excited when I saw her because yep. she wasn't the type of actor that was having like one starring vehicle come out every year. It was like, oh, shit. Hey, Marissa Tomei's in this. Cool. I haven't seen her in a while. This is her first role and she wins a fucking yeah. Oscar for it, man. And I hate the whole controversy. Did Jack Palance read the wrong name? All that—that's all bullshit. 
Like that's stupid. She 100 percent won that Oscar and deserved it. Like I looked up the other people that were nominated there. Oh, she 100 percent deserved, deserved it. That was all hers. And I also uh, enjoyed some of the you know discussion around. Well, he could have made a mistake because they made a mistake with Moonlight and La La Land. It's like yeah, and they corrected it in four seconds. You think exactly. you think they, they totally did. that Jack Palance made a mistake? They gave the award. She gave the speech. Walked off. And then, like, later that night, they were like, well, it was on TV. There's nothing we can do. <laughs> nothing yeah, we can do about it. I don't think that's what happened. No, and she she did. She absolutely is the winner of this film. I mean, this is her film. As much as you want to may want to give it to Pesci, without her balance, yeah. this is a one-note film. She's the one who adds oh, dimension absolutely. and layer to the film. And I read something where Jonathan Lynn was like, they didn't want that character in it. They wanted him to write the character out of it. it just asinine. And that's a boring movie. That's that's Andrew Dice Clay Practices Law. That's what that film is. Yeah, it's, it's fucking ridiculous. So I do want to say, though, this movie sort of jumpstarts itself with both the scenery and the music. Yeah, you, know, it does. you don't start out with your main character. You got two guys. You know mm-hmm. when you're going to see My Cousin Vinny... Everybody had either seen a trailer or seen a, a poster, and they're like, "Oh, I'm going to see this Joe Pesci vehicle." And you don't get Joe Pesci for a bit. You get yeah, it's like 15 yeah, minutes before he like enters on. You screen. get guys in a car with a New York license plate driving down the road in a rural area. You see the "Welcome to Alabama" sign. You see the or you hear the music. And I do want to say a couple of things. Like you pass uh, a hubcap house. Had mm-hmm. one of those in my hometown. Yep. Uh, we also passed a bunch of hay bales. And where Jesse and I went to law school was a fairly rural place in southern Illinois. And there were houses that uh, had hay bales out front that would decorate them for every single holiday. So <laughs> they put hay bales together to look like a bunny for Easter. Or uh, they'd paint it green or the Irish flag for St. Patty's Day or whatever. So watching the opening sequence of this movie, particularly that being sort of the area where I started... You know, I went to law school and you can practice as a student your third year in certain situations. So I sort of started practicing law at that time in these really small, like Cairo, Illinois towns. This adds another layer for me than I had ever sort of witnessed before I became an attorney. It's it's really like, this is what it looks like. And these sort of communities have all of these aspects. Like none of, none of these things were put there. This was all pre-existing on location yeah i think you can actually visit a lot of the sites where this thing was filmed you know what i mean and what i love about that opening as you said like you always say with the show don't tell that's exactly what this is there's been zero dialogue and we already know they're driving from new york to ucla because we see they got the college handbook they got the welcome to ucla uh in the back seat there so once you know you pay attention to these things you kind of see you know what's going on they're driving through alabama and as if you didn't understand that, we get into that in like a few minutes later, but that's all you need to know. Yep. We don't need to see that, okay, they came from NYU or they came from this place or we're going to need a flashback to that or we're going to need them starting their journey from there. No, we're going to give you enough context for everything to move this fucking story along. And again, the pacing is fucking perfect. Yeah. It's just we know so much already. And then we get we, we know all we need to know about their friendship inside the sack of suds. So when they pull over to the sack of suds, which you can visit, Jed's right about that, uh, they go in, they're shopping, they clearly are on a budget, they're two buddies, they're, they have that rapport between each other that you realize like, oh, this isn't a When Harry Met Sally thing where they didn't really know each other before they went on this trip. Like, these are buddies, Yeah, they, they know each other, it's all good, and they buy this stuff, 
and they're going through and I, I love the the concept of guys like I'm not getting a basket. Let's just carry <laughs> as much of this shit as humanly possible. And that's absolutely real because when we went to golf at Pebble Beach up there in Monterey, we did that exact same thing and had that exact same discussion. Like, well, we don't need a fucking basket. We can, we can hold all this. I got it. And we're like limping to the cash <laughs> register, both looking at each other like, yeah, it's just like my cousin yep. Vinny. This is yep. real. We did that one in real life. We didn't steal anything <laughs> to my recollection, though. No, and we did not go to jail for attempted, you know, for murder. No, we got that, away with so. it. Of course. Yeah, we, we did until now. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> uh, but so anyway like they're getting all these groceries in the sack of suds they end up driving off and you're like okay where, where's this thing kind of going and he realizes bill played by the amazing ralph macchio realized though that can of tuna that he couldn't hold in his hand because he was holding everything else and put it in his pocket he forgot to pay for it and stan is like oh my god i mean they got like medieval fucking laws down here in Alabama. You were going to get lynched. You're going to get everything. Like all this shit's going to happen. We're, we're dead. I mean, like, fuck. And very over the top as Stan is throughout this entire film, in my yeah. opinion. Machio's not too concerned, but then there's a cop behind him. And they get pulled over and they think it's totally because of the tuna. Well, and I, I It's not because of the tuna, though. <laughs> I really dug uh, Machio just looking at him being like, Hey, there's nothing to worry about until there's something to worry about. That's such a good line to me because I, feel, <laughs> oh, I yeah. feel like I've said that a million times in my life. And I'm not giving myself credit for being uh, you know, a great writer. I'm just saying that that is a very realistic line when you have like a super worried person with you. You're like, when there's something to worry about, that's when we'll start doing the worry. Yeah, thing. we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Exactly. And they should probably start worrying when a shotgun was pulled on them when they got pulled over. <laughs> Which, Again, this yes, is where Machio being so cavalier about, like, I guess I'll admit to the tuna. It's like, they pulled a shotgun on you. <laughs> Let's use a little bit of that street smarts that you seem to be so proud of in this film <laughs> to realize. No shit, yeah, I agree with you there. I agree, I agree with you. Because when they get to the police station and they're, like, interrogating them and... I want to ask you as a lawyer, all right, you know, listeners, in this episode, since Cole has the law background and is one of the greatest <laughs> lawyers in the world, yep. I want yep, to get true. his opinion. I don't know. It, it, I, well, what was the last ranking? It was F. Lee Bailey and Nick Well, Cole. no, because F. Lee Bailey uh, got disbarred for embezzling his client's money, so he's off the list. I that See, you don't know what list I was talking about, <laughs> so... <laughs> This actually is very F. Lee Bailey-ish because you know how he got famous? How's that? Like right out of law school, he won this like big murder murder case. Was it the same one that, um, oh, the Harrison Ford movie and the TV show that that was, uh, The Fugitive was based on? Wasn't he like part of that trial? That I couldn't tell you. I just know, I, I know about him from the OJ trial. I know that he got disbarred for taking clients' money. And I know that like his big claim to fame about being this incredible lawyer was like, just fresh out of law school, a la Vinny, took on this really big murder case and won it. Wow. So go F. Lee Bailey for yeah. a while and then Hero. fuck off F. Lee Bailey. <laughs> Hero. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So when they're getting interrogated and they're they're talking to the, the cops, like this misunderstanding feels authentic. It feels like something a ton of people would try to explain. Like where he does, he thinks he's in for one thing, they have him for something else. No one has said yet what it is because they want that confession, I'm assuming. But... What's the advice to people, Cole, if they ever get in this kind of situation? <laughs> so I am a criminal defense attorney. And if I can just give everybody out there a little advice, no matter how innocent you think conduct is or that you are, don't talk to the cops. Don't answer questions. 
I mean, my friends have heard me say this a million times. It is not your responsibility to solve the crime for the police. <laughs> that is their part. They need to put the pieces together. So even if you stole the tuna, they need to prove you stole the tuna. Now, I am not saying go out there and commit a bunch of crime and then see if the police can figure it out. That is not the advice I'm giving you. But this is a perfect example of you think it's one thing, they know it's another or think it's another, and you end up saying a bunch of shit that incriminates you. I don't care if it's a speeding ticket. You don't have to answer how fast you think you were going. You're not required to say that. And I actually can attest to this because <laughs> after I met Cole, I was driving I was driving back home one uh, one night on the 405 North and I was probably going 90, 95 maybe. Honestly, like the road it was pretty empty on the 405, which is rare. Speed got away from me. I was in the left lane. And all of a sudden these lights start flashing and I get pulled over and I'm just thinking what Cole's always said. And the officer comes up to the car and he's like, you know why I pulled you over? I'm like, honestly, officer, I have no idea. You have no idea why I pulled you over. Yeah, I was just trying to keep up with the flow of traffic. So you don't think you were going fast. I was keeping up with the flow of traffic, officer. I believe I was going the speed limit. You were going 95 (laughs) miles an hour. Oh, really? Okay. If you say so, sir. I mean, I was just doing this. So you didn't know you were going that fast. No, I was just keeping up with the flow, like I said. All right. Well, keep your speed down. Get back out there on the road. How did I not get a fucking ticket? <laughs> like, ridiculous here. But I used Cole's advice. I did not admit. You don't have to I'm admit the crime. To help him. No, I <laughs> don't have to do any of it. They don't have that requirement, which Machio would have been wise to just be like, whoa, 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 whoa. I would like to speak to an attorney or I don't want to answer any of your questions. But it does lead us to one of the greatest parts of the entire movie. So you've got Bruce McGill as the sheriff, who's fantastic talking to Machio and trying to figure out this murder, which we only flashed back to and saw like a picture of the murder and like McGill walking up and being like, this guy's dead. That's all, that's all about the crime that we really care about, right? Yeah, we didn't actually see it happen or anything like that. Right, we didn't see the right. other two dudes. And we're not trying to find the other two dudes. Like, that's another thing I love about the film. No. But when he's sitting there and interviewing Machio and Machio's attitude, because he does think it's about the tuna, is just a fantastic uh, misunderstanding. And when they get into, well, let's just play it. Hello, Bill. I'm Sheriff Farley. Hi. Do you know why you're here? Yeah, I do. I'm sorry. It was a stupid thing to do. Have you been made aware of your rights? Yes. You're willing to waive that right? Yes, I'm willing to cooperate fully. I'll sign a statement or whatever makes this whole thing easier. Good. Good. That's that's good. But I want you to know, Stan, he had nothing to do with it. Did he help you plan it? No. I mean, I mean, it wasn't planned out. You know, just like, you know, it just happened. Did Stan try to stop you at any time? No. I mean, he was... Why, is that a big deal? Aiding and abetting. Aiding and abetting? What is that, a major thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did he catch you with tuna fish? Is that how it started? No, he didn't say anything. But he knew about it. <laughs> I don't know. You paid for the groceries. And then what? We went out to the car, and that's it. When'd you shoot him? At what point did you shoot the clerk? 
I shot the clerk. Yes, when did you shoot him? I shot the clerk. Hey, Dean, we need you out here. I'm in the middle of a damn confession here. Whoa! Wait a minute! <laughs> How many times have we said to each other, I shot the clerk? I shot the clerk. <laughs> it's just so perfect. And you can only write it, but for them to play it, and particularly Ralph Macchio to play it the way he did, it's perfection. Because he's a fantastic actor. I love that Stan getting interrogated. Like, it never dawns on Stan, who thinks he's the smartest guy in every room that he's in. Uh-huh. It never dawns on him, like, they have me locked in a room, and they're interrogating me about being an accessory to a 22-cent can of tuna or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> never clicks with him that maybe it's maybe something's wrong here. Until Machio explains to him, until Bill's like, it's not for tuna dipshit. <laughs> I'm being booked for murder. You're being booked for accessory. And can to murder. we talk about the phone call for a minute? So when he calls, when he calls his mom, the way he says, "Oh Ma, God!" Every time I looked at Jess last night when we were watching, I was like, "Just watch this. Just watch this. It's so good. It's it's so amazing. I mean, that's great phone acting. Yeah, just by Machio on the whole. But you're absolutely right. The whole use of Ma, everything. Can't call Stan's parents because they're in Chile. Good. We don't need to know about them. We're done. We don't need to know about any of that. And it's like fifty to one hundred thousand dollars for a good attorney. Mm. That's a lot of money. That's uh, that's going to yeah. take some coin to get out of this thing. Great drop on the they're inbred here. They sleep with their sisters. Well, some of them do. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings up something that I love about this film is nobody's trying to actually like get these guys. Yeah. they think they have the dudes who did it, but they're not like, oh, you Yankee motherfuckers. We're going to fry you. You think you come down here no. you're so smart. There's none of that shit. Everyone's very welcoming. This movie excels because there's no true villain. You know, you don't have a dirty yeah. judge or an unethical prosecutor or a sideways cop. That isn't something that really dawns on you till you get to the end and you realize, like, everybody's just trying to do their job. That's it. That's all they were trying to do. As pissed off at Judge Holler as you might be, he's just trying to make sure the guy who's practicing law in his court is a lawyer. Yep. <laughs> you know, I mean... Lane Smith is charged with prosecuting the crimes that happen in his jurisdiction. And there was a murder, which I'm assuming doesn't happen very much in Beecham County. Nope. And they think they have the guys. He's just doing his job. Exactly. The sheriff doing the same thing, just asking the questions, gets a quasi-confession. Yep. And, you know, he just does what he's supposed to do. Even the jurors. Yeah, the jurors, the jurors, everyone's like just... What I love is that nobody is prejudging these these people. And nobody's prejudging anybody else. Like... When Vinny and, and Mona Lisa arrive in town, they're not like, oh, look at these fucking hicks. And the other people aren't like, oh, look at these city folk. The very first encounter they have with people is like, what's wrong with the car? Can we help you yeah. with anything? And right. Vinny's not like, oh, get the fuck out of here. You don't know anything. It's like, you know, he's a little standoffish in the beginning, I think. And that's just the New York in him. And then right what? away he realizes there's not, they're not trying to pull anything on him. Right. I think it's defense. I, I think it's just a defense mechanism to be like, hey, I, I need to protect me and mine before I figure out or until I figure out what's going on. Yeah. And, you know, basically, so what happens here, just going back one quick sec, is Bill on the phone with his mom realizes that his cousin Vinny is a lawyer. Like he knew yeah. he was a lawyer, but he's like, oh, do you think he'd do it? Like he would take this case, comes on down. Bill doesn't know anything about Vinny other than, I mean, obviously he knows him because he's his cousin and he loves him and all that. But in terms of law stuff, just knows that he graduated from law school like six years ago. It's kind of one of those things where I think Bill then probably finished high school, went to college, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they kept in touch, but he wasn't sure exactly what Vinny was doing. So he thinks he's some kind of established lawyer at this point. 
tell Stan about it, lawyer and the family, now we get why Vinny and Mona Lisa are coming into town. And that cut of their car coming around the corner <laughs> is just going from Macho going, my cousin Vinny, to them coming around and parking to pull over to find out why the, the weight differential is off in the car. And what I loved about it was, I mean, you lived for a considerable amount of time in North Carolina. That is correct. You've been to these small towns. Yep. I grew up in small towns. Like, there's a lot of them that have that town square. Yep. Like, when you're driving through them, the the highway runs right through town, and you go around the square, and you go out the other side, and you leave town. Mm Mm-hmm. This is a new car that none of these people have seen, and that's what they're looking at. As this car is coming around town square, all the locals are going, haven't seen that car before. I wonder what these folks are up to. Haven't heard that music before either. You know, that kind of thing. Yep. Everything is, this is out of place, but we're not like standoffish it's you know right and it wasn't threatening it nope. wasn't anything like that i i really enjoyed it i mean we have one dickhead who will meet a little later at the pool and chicken but <laughs> it's chicken. not it's not threatening and our introduction and you you mentioned it earlier to marissa tomei like a lot of people want to talk about her testimony at the end of the movie or you know we're obviously going to talk about somebody's biological clock coming up but <laughs> this intro what Nothing. You stick out like a sore thumb around here. <laughs> Me? What about you? I fit in better than you. At least I'm wearing cowboy boots. Oh, yeah, you blend. I bet the Chinese food here is terrible. Chinese food taking pictures? Yep. What I love is, like, they got mud in the tires, which is the reason the differential was off. Everything you see in this film that you're like, oh, that's funny, or I wonder why they did that. Everything comes back. Her taking the pictures of everything. The mud and the tire. Everything has a reason for being there. And I I love that because nothing feels like it was shoehorned into the script to be like, well, we're going to need this later on, so let's put this kind of... No, it's all natural shit that would totally happen. No, and she never needed to prove up her knowledge of cars because Vin gets out and goes, hey, you ever heard of that? Well, she's never heard of that because... And she knows everything about cars. Yeah. And the guy laughs it off, but he's like, no, check this out. And she doesn't like, you know, do a diagnostic on the car it's just like no she knows i don't need to prove it but i love her line at the end of that scene where she goes oh like you're a world traveler like yeah (laughs) i'm sorry i think it's you're a fucking world traveler but well that i mean look she's just she's throwing heat from the very from the word go and when she's even like he's like you know at least i got the cowboy boots on and she's like oh yeah you blend yeah it's just perfect I think I read somewhere that when he saw that on the dailies, they were like, okay, we got the girl. Yep. We, we, we well, cast the right person. And it's really good writing. Like, those lines are really well written. And yeah. she just knocks all that shit out of the park. Yeah. I mean, she's looking for Chinese food, and that's not going anywhere. She's very concerned about the Chinese food here. <laughs> I've been there. I, I look for Chinese food anywhere I go. That's I, I get that. Uh, for the listeners out there, if you ever go to Bandon, Oregon, um, you're going to want to pass on the Chinese food. The pirate Chinese place is not good. <laughs> And, and what I mean by that is it's not that it's underground Chinese food. It means that it is Chinese food served by someone dressed up like a pirate. That's a real thing that happened. Just hit the DQ and be happy. <laughs> but, but we have to go to the state prison because the jail has been condemned, evidently. So that's why we're on the bus and that's why we're going to the state prison. And, I mean, Stan and Bill are there and those doors close. But, I mean, when they're walking down those halls, those are real prisoners. Those are real yeah. guards. They filmed it at the real place. That's some scary shit, man. That really gets, I think, an actor into the mindset. Yeah, I mean, I've been to prison plenty of times. It's never fun. I mean, I'm I'm not, like, scared of it or anything, but you're just like, 
this would fucking suck. Like every time I'm there, it's just glad I'm not in the yard. I'm glad I'm here in like the attorney room meeting with my client, which is weird because like, uh, one of the things this movie is very funny to me is they don't like let you go in the cell with your client. That's what I've heard. I've heard that from you yeah. and, and from others. So they did <laughs> this not... obviously for comedic effect and I think it's perfect. Oh, I'm so happy they did it. Are you kidding me? I mean, let's just play that whole sequence because it's amazing. So this is Vinny. He comes down and he finds Stan and Bill. Bill's sleeping. And so Vinny's like, okay, I'm in town. Let me go see the new guys. And this happens. Here. We got somebody for you. You must be Stan. How you doing? Why'd they bring you in here? Well, I just got in. I asked where the new guys were and they brought me right in. Hey, sleeping, huh? Cute little guy. You know, maybe I'll just start with you. I'll let him sleep a little bit. Look, I don't want to do this. Hey, I don't blame you. If I was in your situation, I'd want to get through this whole thing as quickly and with as little pain as possible. So, you know, let's try our best to make it a simple in and out procedure. What's the matter? Relax, relax, relax. You know, Maybe we should spend a couple of minutes together, you know, to get acquainted before we, uh, you know, before we get to it. What's wrong with you? I don't want to do this. But I understand, but, you know, what are your alternatives? My alternatives? Yeah. To what, to you? I don't know, suicide, death? Look, it's either me or them. You're getting fucked one way or the other. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Lighten up, okay? Don't worry, I'm gonna help you. <sighs> Gee, thanks. Excuse me, but I think a modicum of gratitude would not be out of line here. You think I should be grateful? Yeah, I mean, it's your ass, not mine. I think you should be grateful. I think you should be down on your fucking knees. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't know it was such an honor to get a visit from you. Hey, I'm doing a favor here, you know. You get me for nothing, you little fuck. Boy, that's one hell of an ego you've got. What the fuck is your problem? I did not come down here just to get jerked off, no. you know. No, no. I'm not jerking you off. I'm not doing anything. That's it. You're on your own. I'm just taking care of sleep of beauty. Hey, Billy. Hey, back off. Vinny. Hey, Vinny. Vinny. Vinny bag of donuts. How are you? I think that's Jordan. My buddy Jordan's. I think it's his best, his favorite moment from the movie, or one of his favorites. Like, he definitely it's... mentioned this. Like, you got to cover that. And it's hilarious. It's... it's it's not slapsticky. It's not stupid. It all makes sense, and the reactions are, are golden. I think you should be down on your fucking knees. I, <laughs> I didn't realize it was such an honor to get a visit from you. <laughs> so good. It's the only time in the movie that I like Stan. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, after that. And they don't use him a ton, so I think no. they realized and all that. But turns out Vinny... Um, has been practicing law almost six weeks. Despite the fact that he graduated from law school six years ago, he's done personal injury up until now, hasn't had any kind of capital cases, and um, taking him six times to pass the bar. Cole, you had that beat, right? You took, what, 12? No, I'm just joking. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm still trying to pass I'm Still it. trying to pass it. No, that's, uh, that's crazy. I did love where he was like, haven't had to go to court yet. Knock on wood. <laughs> and I was like, because I know a ton of attorneys that have never gone to court. Yeah. Like, there's a whole lot of law you can practice without ever going to court. And it's also, I think, really interesting that they put this in the script that he was doing PI stuff because 
civil law to criminal law, man, that is night and day. Like the procedure is night and day. Just how to file stuff is night and day. Um, and by the way, before we get added on Twitter about all the mistakes I'm making, I practice in California. So if this is all like right on the money with where you practice, I apologize. I just want to couch everything I'm saying with California state law. But like for me, when I get clients to come in and they have civil matters, I'm like, nah, you uh, here's some people that I know that are good civil attorneys. I'm not even dipping a toe in that. Well, the idea of, you know, passing the bar, taking that many times to pass it, I think was the genesis of where this came yeah, from. Because I, I think uh, Lawner was um, in a bar or whatever talking to some dude and he's like, yeah, I'm trying to pass the bar. Like, what happens if you don't pass it? You just take it again. He's like, well, you can just keep taking it. And like, what's the most? I think he said like 13, I, I read like 13 times. Like, well, there's a lawyer out there who took 13 times to pass the bar and He's, you know, practicing law most likely somewhere. It's like, what do you call the guy who graduated last in medical school? Doctor. Yeah. Doctor. Exactly. So it, it's, it's there in every profession and uh, it, it's, it's funny. And it, it works for this because you as a viewer, you know, Vinny cares about them. You know, Vinny wants to do a good job, but you don't know at this point, is Vinny a lawyer? How long has he been practicing? You don't know any of that. And then when you get all this information, you're like, oh, this is not, this may not go that well. Well, and what I like that they focused on, because the easiest part of practicing law to me is the actual law. Like if you're willing to sit down and research and figure out what the law is, and if you have an analytical sense about you to be able to apply whatever the law is to the facts of your specific case, civil, criminal, whatever, that's the easy part. Figuring out the maze of procedure is a fucking nightmare. Right. And I love that that's the focus of all of Vinny's mistakes. I don't know how to get this train on the Alabama state law track. Right. So inside, he knows how to practice law. Like he understands what he needs to do. I love how curious he is everywhere he goes. He's curious at breakfast. How do you make a grit? He's curious about mud in the tires. How do you get mud in the tires? What do you mean about that? Asking questions. That's the whole job. Particularly when you get into being a trial attorney. The whole job is what kind of questions do I need to ask? I need to figure out how shit works. But when it comes to procedure, that's a different animal. And I, I, I think it is so funny. And I think it's one of the reasons that lawyers in particular really enjoy the humor of those parts is because we've either been there or we've seen it happen. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a nightmare because you look at him and you go, that, that person's client thinks that they have no idea how to practice law. And maybe they don't. I don't know. But you can make a procedural mistake or say, like, stand in the wrong part of the court and just get yelled at by a bailiff or a judge and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you don't know what you're doing anymore. And it's it's brutal to see. Yeah, and it's brutal to see in the movie as well. I mean, it's, it's obviously played up for comedic effect. But, I mean, Vinny has to be approved because... So he's passed the bar, so he's licensed in New York. But yep. Alabama, I mean, each state has its own bar, as far as I know. But I think, isn't there something where you can practice in another state if the judge allows it? Yeah, if typically if you've practiced long enough and you're in good standing in the state you're in and you're handling a type of case that you handle back home, then if you're in another state, a judge can wave you in. It doesn't mean that you can practice there like forever. You can't hang a shingle or anything, but okay. for a specific case, like if I had somebody who got in trouble in Illinois and it was a criminal matter, I'd probably be able to be waved in. You know, if it was a personal injury case, probably not. Now, this is probably going to sound like a really stupid question, but I can represent myself if I'm on trial and I'm not a lawyer, but I can't have someone else who's not a lawyer represent me. Is that how it correct. works? Yeah, that's correct. Making sure on that one because uh, yep. <laughs> not for future or anything like that. Just yeah. wondering. 
You can't bring in Rob Lowe from the grinder and uh, have him come in and represent you. That's not a thing. Why that show didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, Judge Chamberlain Holler, law is all about the procedure in his courtroom. So you got to follow this procedure. He gives him the big book. It's got to be tough, man, like to to deal with this kind of thing because each courtroom, each judge got to be a little different. Yeah, they are. I, I mean, if I go to a county that I don't typically practice in, A, I get looked up immediately uh, to make sure that I'm a lawyer. B, I talk to the clerk and I'm like, look, this is what I'm trying to do in your court today, whether it's an arraignment, a continuance, filing a motion, whatever it is, and be like, how does the judge like this to happen? Because I've got different judges. You know, I work in a county that has 100 plus judges and they all want something slightly different in the way that the procedure operates in their courtroom, regardless of the hard and fast rules that you may be able to see. It's just one of those things. And it's so fucking funny to me in this because you have judges like Judge Holler that is like, in the book, that's how it's done. Read it, know it, and that's it. And when I first watched this movie, I'm like, what a dick. And now that I watch it, I'm like, yeah, I know that judge. I know that guy. (laughs) As you said earlier, no one's evil in the movie, and he's just doing his job, and... Now Vinny knows the playing field that he's on. He knows what he has to do. Um, and so now we kind of go from here. And Mona Lisa really wants to help out with this whole thing. Like, you know, Vinny's kind of trying to do it on his own, but she's down there with him. She's supporting him. We know that they're engaged, um, that kind of stuff. And there's a definite age difference, but it I don't know, at least to 22 me. 22 years. Exactly. Man. It's a 22 years age difference. It never fully stands out to me, though. I mean, it's there, but it's it's not. They don't play it up at all. They don't mention it, anything like that. I think it works, but it's really on that borderline of man. This could be a little off-putting in terms of watching it and being a little distracting at times. Well, and I think because there's never a concentration on the sexual aspect of their relationship, that yep, you know that allows you to sort of buy into it a little bit more. Exactly, I, I agree with that. I think the soundtrack is very similar to Twins, one of my favorite films. And every um, other like buddy type movie from 1987 to 1994. Exactly, they're all <laughs> they're all great for it. But we see them, you know. There's a running gag in the film where something is always waking him up every morning or waking both of them up. And the first hotel they stay at, it's a steam whistle. And I love the explanation by the guy at the at the diner when they go to get breakfast. It's like, well, it's from the old uh, sawmill there, and uh, it's a steam whistle to tell everyone to wake up. I'm sorry, 5.30 in the morning, you're telling me for miles around, you're just, you're just. we don't need to do this, we're just going to do it to tell people to wake the fuck up? I mean, god damn, I could not live in that town. <laughs> well, maybe if there was an 11.30 a.m. steam whistle, you'd be alright. Might right. be tough too, might be tough at that point, because there's some days, man, where 1, one o'clock is, is the time. <laughs> god, I want to live that life. But again, Lisa's continuing to take pictures of everything, I love that the menu just has breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah, lard is definitely what they cook with here, <laughs> and it's the first experience with grits. And we kind of discover, oh, grits take fifteen to twenty minutes. You boil water, put the grit in there, fifteen to twenty minutes. I remember my first experience with grits because, as growing up in California till I was around ten, not a lot of grits in this part no, of the country. No, and I hate that. I love grits, and there's nowhere to get them around here. I moved to North Carolina. We go to get breakfast at like Shoney's or something like that, and. <laughs> They have grits. So we're like, all right, we order some grits. Grits by themselves are tasteless, in my opinion. You always have to have something. You got to put butter. You got to put sugar. You got to put something with the grits. And it's, I had this exact same experience that, that Vinny did. And it's just, it's hilarious. It's so perfect because it's, it's real. Well, and what, what I like about this is this is 
in the scenes before, they're kind of showing you he's not an attorney. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's faking it, whatever. When he's questioning the cook about, like, what's a grip made of? Oh, it's made of that. How do you cook it? How long does it take to cook? You know, all that stuff. That's showing you he's going to be a really good lawyer. Like, if he can get to that, those are the strengths that he has that he's going to be able to potentially win this case or whatever. And that's peppered throughout the movie without putting too fine a point on it. Yeah, I I agree. And the other nice thing about it is it looks like a lot of what he does as a lawyer for this movie or for this trial, let's say, he's solving the crime. So him being able to spot bullshit, him being able to do what, what you just said about finding all that stuff, that's what he's doing because the sheriff is like, we know who did this. We know, we don't know the motivation. We don't have the murder weapon. But right. we know these guys, we have all these witnesses, and all he's got to do is kind of poke holes in that and figure out and get to it. And it makes being a lawyer look like a lot of fun, but then after meeting you and discovering the reality of <laughs> being a lawyer is just writing a bunch of shit all the fucking time, that's not fun. So, I do sometimes get jealous of my investigators that get to go out and do that investigation, but one of the reasons the movies get this aspect wrong. And there are lawyers that do it. Like, I'm not saying that there's, you know, you can't do it. I I don't is I don't investigate my own stuff. Like I'll go to the scenes of certain crimes and I'll drive around just to get an idea of what's, what it looks like, how far things are from each other, you know, certain angles that you can view, you know, wherever the alleged crime happened. But my investigators are the ones that go talk to people because if I put them on the stand, And I were to ask him, hey, you know, this is your house, right? And he goes, no, it's not. Then I have to take the stand and testify that I was at his house and took this picture and that's his house. And now I've made myself a percipient witness to the case and now I can't be the lawyer. I can't actually go back and do the defending because, you know, there's certain rules against lawyers like vouching, like in closing argument, I can't stand up there and be like, you can trust me that this person told the truth. Like you can't do that. Mm hmm. So in my closing argument, I'd have to be like, and you remember when I took the stand, you know, I told the truth. (laughs) Like now if that guy never lies, I never have to take the stand. Yeah. You know, if all the witnesses do what they're supposed to do and tell the truth, that's one thing. So I do get jealous of my investigators who get to go out and take pictures and talk to witnesses and do stuff like that. But very little of my job uh, is solving a crime or doing anything like that. So Vinny is allowed to practice law pending the... Chamberlain Holler is obviously going to check out that Vincent LaGuardia Gambini is licensed and has all the, the history or wh- whatever the case may be. But now we're at the like arraignment phase. And what I love about this film is you're basically tracking the entire uh, procedure that everything happens for, for this case. And yeah. you're seeing every little thing. And obviously there's moments outside of that that happen. But the movie is now squarely focused on, okay, we're going to start this trial and let's kind of see what happens from here. And so the arraignment where all he has to say is guilty, not guilty, which again, another quote that I've said, guilty, not guilty. I say that all the fucking time. Oh, yeah. And he doesn't know that. He's never been in trial before. And he's also got a wardrobe problem because he's just wearing like leathers. I'm glad we're finally talking about, I'm glad we're finally talking about his wardrobe because we're going to have to talk about a lot of the clothes in this movie. Oh, my God. I mean, as perfect as Marissa Tomei is when she's wearing that flower (laughs) Like onesie kind of. The flower onesie is a is. I want to. I'm trying to buy one of those. I want to try. <laughs> if anybody out there can tell me where I can get a flower onesie, please hit me up on Twitter. But even like, I love that everywhere she goes, like she's made up. Mm-hmm. She's totally. wearing a, a legitimate dress, and the hair's all done, and, and everything. That juxtaposition with everybody else, like 
the amount of overalls in this film, <laughs> aggressive. Yes. Not, absolutely. not factually incorrect, but aggressive. Yeah. And so he goes to the arraignment. We've got that. And he's trying to explain his case. He's trying to explain it's a misunderstanding. It's all this. And the judge is like, look, I just need to know guilty, not guilty. I think I get it. Obviously, you don't. Now you're in contempt. Your bail is set at $200. And so yeah. now he's got to go to fucking fucking jail. And so Mona Lisa has to has to bail him out. What I love about this is she is the viewer in many ways to me because yeah. she's representing everything worth thinking. So he gets out of the, she bails him out of jail. He gets out and she's like, I mean, you're really kind of fucked up today. Like, yeah, you didn't, you didn't teach you this. And then you get like this exchange between them. I'm going to nuke this guy Norton this weekend. Looks like it. You got one huge responsibility taken on this murder case. You screw up and those boys get fried. I know. So you think you know what you're doing? Yeah, I think I know what I'm doing. Because you didn't look like you knew what you were doing today in that courtroom. Why is that? Well, it's a lot of procedure, that's all. I mean, I'll learn it as I go. Learn as you go? Yeah, yeah. Didn't they teach that in law school? No, that's not what they teach you. They teach you contracts, precedents, interpretations. And then the firm that hires you, they teach you procedures. Or you could go to court and watch. So why don't you go to court and watch? Because between your father's garage, your working nights, when was I supposed to go? I thought maybe this summer I would take off a couple of months. But it ain't no big deal. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Is that what law school is called? Do they just teach you contracts? Because that's what I thought when I met you because of this movie. <laughs> they do teach you contracts. He is correct. There's some shit about the arraignment. Look, again, I don't want to get too bogged down. And I've seen that sort of shit happen in an arraignment. And it's hard to watch. Uh, I've seen people try to argue their case or whatever. Like, it really is guilty, not guilty. Or I would like to continue this arraignment. Like, those are your choices. They would have taught him some stuff in law school that he claims to not have learned later in the film. Particularly with respect to disclosure of evidence, things like that. Like, you learn that. But one thing they definitely <laughs> don't teach you in law school, and that's what the, like, the summer programs are for, whether you're doing an internship at a law firm, whether you're working at a DA's office, PD's, private law, whatever, is that's how you learn how to act in court. They don't. There's not a class in law school that says, this is how you go in. This is how you, you know, these are the words to say. Shit, when I was first licensed, I would go in and make special appearances for some attorneys just to like do a continuance. And then I would sit in court and just watch. Like, I love that he brought that up like towards the middle of the movie. It's like, I had planned to take some time off to go watch court and learn how this shit is done. Yeah. But like, if you've never been a criminal defendant or you've never had a civil case, like I had never been in court. Yeah, but you've seen law and order. So, I have seen. Like, you really don't have an excuse. I mean, come on. You're right. You're right. That's true. <laughs> I was lazy. A few good men. But uh, but his his the general point of they teach you contracts, they teach you how to research and things like that is well taken. Yeah. The way that Mona Lisa got the money to bail him out is she tried to hustle it. She played pool at the pool and chicken with the guy JT, <laughs> and she got stiffed on it. So we have this subplot that runs throughout where Vinny's trying to get this two hundred dollars. JT's like, I'm not going to fucking pay you, you little Yankee bastard. You know, all that kind of stuff. And he's like, okay, well, the scene where they're, where they're talking, it's so good because he's, you can see the lawyer there and you can see the way he's, he's trying to, okay, so my options here are get my ass kicked <laughs> or collect $200. 
Yeah. Now I need a good ass kicking. It's very tempting here, <laughs> but I think I'm going to collect two hundred dollars. You know, and he he is a very intelligent, well spoken dude. Like he he knows yeah. how to maneuver his way around this these these people and all that kind of stuff. So it ends up like, okay, give me the two hundred dollars, and you know, I'll you know I'll kick your ass, and then you'll give me the two hundred dollars. That kind of thing. The guy doesn't have the two hundred, so that kind of we see a few more scenes with that. We can't but, skip uh, this one part though when they walk in. And you see everybody just staring him down. And the guy takes the drumstick, uh-huh. puts the whole thing in his mouth, and sucks in one swipe everything off the bone. That is the grossest fucking thing I have ever seen in my life. And I grew up in the age of the internet. That's the grossest goddamn thing I've ever seen in my life. It's really off-putting, honestly. It, it makes it difficult for me to eat fried chicken. It's a crazy scene. And I don't think that was like, I think he really did that. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't think they put any money into CGI. <laughs> no, not back then. Not back then. <laughs> no, I agree with you. Um, and so then we have that whole subplot there with, you know, him trying to get the money, money throughout. Stan at this point, though, he is done with Vinny. He thinks that after the arraignment thing, he, he needs to get a public defender. He needs to get a different lawyer. And the one thing I want to talk about here is Bill, uh, played by the Mach, obviously Italian guy. And yep. his mother, he talks to in the very beginning, he mentions in passing that she has health problems. But one thing that I think the director and writer even brought up um, was like they had scenes with the mother coming into town, didn't really work. Then they had scenes where like, okay, she had a heart attack and Bill's like calling her at the hospital. But what I love is that they were like, look, that really takes away the flow of the film. So putting something in that's going to appease where people are like, well, this Italian mother would definitely have gone down to Alabama with Vinny and been with her son. But if it doesn't serve your movie and your story in terms of having it there at all, you have to take that shit out. And and they did. And I don't know that I've ever met anybody who's been like, yeah, my cousin Vinny, I mean, that was a pretty decent movie. But the fact that they didn't have the Italian mother down there in Alabama, I mean, I just right. totally lost all credence with me. Yeah, so it's no, a those genius were great move. cuts. I, I read that too, and I was like, Gee, that's what editing is for. That's the purpose of being a director, is yep. making those choices. And I like, because he probably did what I would do, is like, let's film it and see what we've got. And it there's no need. There's just zero reason, because this whole movie is, give me more Vinny and Mona Lisa Vito. Yep. And when I say that, I mean, give me more Mona Lisa Vito. Exactly. I want I want the maximum allowable torquage of Mona Vito. Yes, the maximum allowable torquage. <laughs> perfectly said. Perfectly said. What I also love is is Bill saying, "We get to see the Gambinos argue. You got to see you got to see Vinny when he argues because we're legendary arguers." I hate to harp on the legal stuff, Cole, but <laughs> for all the people out there that are listening, they're like, "Man, I'm really good at arguing. I should go to law school to be a lawyer." Is that true? Is that does that always scan? I mean, maybe you should. I, I, <laughs> I don't want to dissuade anyone from becoming an attorney. I will just say that there is a difference between arguing and yelling. And most of the people that tell me I'm a great arguer, so I should, probably should be an attorney. It's like, well, you're a great yeller to the point where your friends are like, I don't want to deal with this shit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't need to, I don't need to put up with this. I'm leaving. So, uh, yes, if you are a good arguer uh, and put together well-thought-out, cogent, analytical arguments, go to law school. But uh, if you just like to yell at people and then they walk away from you, that go be on a reality show. That, you'll get way <laughs> richer faster. I can That's tell you the that. norm. So we get, at this point, after a really good scene with the, uh, you know, where, again, we get to see 
Vincent and Mona Lisa in the hotel room and about the faucet. Did you actually turn it off? And you see where he knows how to ask the questions or he knows how to lead a cross-examination, which is the most fun thing I do for a living. And she's got the responses and you can see this playfulness between them. And, you know, we get the maximum allowable torquage and all of this stuff. It's a fantastic scene and you see the love between them and, and how much of a team they are is great. And then we go from him being really good at asking questions to go into the preliminary hearing. We get to the prelim, which is kind of fast, like a murder case. I'm on one now and it won't go to trial for two years. It's just crazy to me. <laughs> Granted, my guy's out of custody. There, trials tend to move a little quicker if you have somebody who's in custody because being able to go to work every day is a lot different than having to be in the yard every day. So th- there is a reason to go quicker because these two guys are in jail. Now, they're both on $200,000 bond. That would take about twenty grand a piece to get out. That's a lot of money. Um, so I would have it go quicker. Would I want to go to a preliminary hearing the next day after the arraignment? After I haven't been given any police reports <laughs> or anything like that. Like that part is like ridiculous. But they go to the prelim and they're they're examining all the witnesses that are going to come up in trial. And Vinny's not asking any questions, which again is insane. Like you would get to add, you get to ask questions at a prelim. That's the thing. You, you can't really, at least in California, you can't really put on a whole bunch of defenses at a prelim, but you can ask questions. Um, he doesn't ask anything. And that part is always a little weird to me, but it's, I think, to get the payoff at the end. Because we need to tear him down as far as we can tear him down in order to see how good he really is. So I don't, I don't dislike it from a drama standpoint. And I also don't dislike it from a, like, we got to yeah. get this shit rolling. You know, one of the things that I don't care in any movie, whether I have an expertise in something or not, is if you want to mess up some of the truly factual, perfectly accurate aspects of what it is to service, like you always say, to service the movie, to service the pace, to service the story, then I'm way more for that than I am. We got to do what, like what happened in the judge where like they actually have a preliminary hearing where Robert Downey Jr. And Dax Shepard are like actually questioning witnesses. And we're like, but we're going to question these guys at the trial. So like, don't film the same scene twice. So I actually like that they did yeah. it. It also yeah. allows to see uh so some more doubt in Mach's mind about, Ooh man, I don't like, man, I think he fucked up that prelim. Um, Stan does make a decent point about maybe you could have got dismissed. Although uh, what Vinny says to him is correct. Hey, Stan, you're an Allah fucking Bama. You come from New York. You killed a good old boy. There is no way this is not going to trial. You're definitely going to trial. Absolutely. Plus, it would have been really hard for Vinny to ask questions or cross-examine these witnesses based on the fact that he apparently had no evidence to go off of. Nothing. He had. He did not know what the prosecution uh, yeah, had. Yeah, you get that. All, you you don't go to prelim without police reports or something. Well, that was the question I was going to ask you is, I know that the case can be thrown out or something, or Mona Lisa even says this, where if they don't disclose their evidence, but do they have to disclose it? I mean, obviously, if you ask for it, they have to disclose it, but can they wait to the last minute to just drop it on you if you don't happen to ask for it? No, no. They they have a requirement to turn over what's called Brady evidence, and so they have to turn over all the reports. They have to give every piece of evidence uh, with very limited exception the prosecution has to give over to the defense. The defense, on the other hand, has to give over certain evidence, but not what's called impeachment evidence. So if 
your person's going to go on and lie about something and I have something to prove that they're going to lie about it, I don't have to turn that over to you. Makes sense. But no, he has to have evidence. Like to go to a prelim, you have to have evidence. You have to, like you would have done some investigation. You would have done all that stuff. And because there's so many holes, maybe it could have been dismissed, particularly because Judge Holler seems to be a really, really good judge. Yeah. But you also don't have to prove anything beyond a reasonable doubt at a prelim. It's a much lower standard of proof. You're just looking for probable cause. Well, if I'm in Vinny's shoes and I don't have any of the evidence that the uh, the prosecution has, I'm probably going to be pretty scared too. And this is where the tone veers off, but not at all, and like a lot at all, and it comes right back, is when Vinny admits to Mona Lisa that he's scared and he's like, I need you to encourage me. I need you to, and she does, but she does it in that perfect way. And I just, I just want to play that because it's, yeah. it's so perfect. I'm, uh, I'm really scared. You should be. How the fuck did I get into this shit? I could win this thing, though. I know I could. I mean, if I could keep my ass awake and out of jail long enough, bet you I could, huh? You know what I think? What? Honestly? I think that once you're out there and you're doing your thing out there, I think you're gonna be really great. Really great. If you don't fuck up. Don't fuck it up. This don't don't fuck it up. <laughs> and and Jess, I promise I'm trying not to. I know we're an hour twelve in. I'm trying not to. <laughs> so Stan meets with the public defender. Again, we already talked about Austin Pendleton as John oh. Gibbons. He's perfection. Now Bill is like, look, Vin, I love you. I didn't realize how little experience you had here. I think I'm going to go with the public defender too because this is my fucking life, okay? And yeah. I, I can't I can't be chancing this thing. And that's when Vinny does this card trick and it's he really does it. He learned how to do the trick because I think they yeah. said when they were filming it, they're like, we can't have a quick cut. We can't have the audience thinking that this isn't real. And so he learned how to do the trick. Great trick. Does it well. And that convinces Bill that he needs to keep Vinny. Here's the thing. If I'm in Bill's shoes, I don't think I can do a card, have you do a card trick in the courtroom. And then, then the judge is going to be like, well, yeah, obviously, if it's the two of spades, we can fucking throw this bitch out. <laughs> <laughs> that motherfucking two of spades. When his, when his yep, left arm I know. keeps bouncing on that card, I, I'm just like, I, I, we didn't do a take two? Like, it's driving me nuts. I, I agree with you. I can't stand it. it totally it's a great is. analogy, yeah. by the way. Uh, and that that's an analogy that I would see, a, I mean, some form of that used by a lot of yeah. attorneys like in a closing argument without actually doing the card trick. But this is where you get the essence of who Vinny is. And what I what I love about it is this is an incredibly funny movie. Yes, it is. And usually you would, usually you would think all the humor would be outside the courtroom and then what we're in the courtroom, we're really serious. And yep. this is the exact opposite. For the most part, the humor happens all in the courtroom or around legal proceedings. And the serious stuff is like, hey, I'm scared. Or, hey, I know you're scared. This is how he's trying to do. He's trying to build this house. All that great stuff. And when Mach decides to stay with him, which is also kind of rare that a defense attorney would be representing two defendants. It's not It's not that it never happens. But, you know, yeah, Stan should have his own attorney. You know, first <laughs> of all, I hope Stan gets convicted. I'm fine with that. And Stan is on trial uh, for something. But, I mean, obviously the same crime, but a different... 
like aspect of the crime, right? Yeah, but he'll get rung up probably the same way. It's like, yeah, you could have two attorneys like working together. You could have two, like those two defense attorneys can come up with a strategy together, shit like that. But I love how earnest Vinny is when he's talking to Bill and he's like, hey, if I fuck it up, no yeah. hard feelings. Okay, you know, if you just give me a shot at that first witness, because I also think that Vinny, as scared as he is, is like, look, if I can, if I can get through, and and Mona Lisa says this, if you can just get through and you're out there and you're doing your mm-hmm. thing, I think you're going to be really great. And he's like, if I can just get to that point, yep. where I'm talking to people, that's where I need to get to, and we're almost. We there. are, because now he's got to go meet with Trotter, um, because he wants to try to butter him up, try to get uh, get some information out of him. And I do find it interesting because this scene's really well done. Trotter, uh, obviously the great Lane Smith, talking about the conscience of the defense attorney, which I can imagine. I mean, if uh-huh. you know that your client is guilty of a hyenas crime or any kind of crime <laughs> yeah. and you get them off, that's got to weigh on you at some point. Or you know the stuff that they actually did or, or whatever the case may be. Um, so I understand. I, I, it rounds out his character. He's not just some evil prosecutor trying to— you understand? No, I was a defense. I was in your shoes before, but I got so many people off who were committing horrible crimes that now I'm. I wanted to do this. Yeah, and and he did it without being, uh, I think, rude to the defense attorney. Yeah. You know, because there are people who look at defense attorneys like I don't know how you fucking sleep at night, or I don't know how you do that shit. And you're like, well, you know, it's a constitutional protection, but other than that, you know, I feel okay. But you know, there are cases that are harder than others, and I love that Lane Smith's uh, character brought a nuance to that. Yeah, I agree with you. You know. And so now we get Vinny telling the story of how he became a lawyer and arguing about the traffic ticket, the judge taking an interest in him, him going to law school, the judge checking up on him. It's a very nice story. Pesci, the way he delivers this, this is what I'm talking about with him being able to have that emotional sensibility and recognizing when he needs to tap into certain things. I could listen to this man tell a story all the fucking time because it's just perfect. Yeah, 100%. It's perfect. There's a reason that George Carlin used to pray to Joe Pesci. I mean, that was one of his bits, right? So, <laughs> so Trotter invites Vinny now to go hunting with him. And so now Vinny's like, oh, this is my yep. opportunity, man. I can butter this motherfucker up, get all these files. Maybe not get all of them, but maybe he'll trap his guard for a second. And he's going and he's explaining <laughs> all this to Mona Lisa, who's like, oh, okay, I mean, yeah, great, great plan. But what are you going to do? And he's like, well, we're going to go hunting and then he asks about, you think these pants are okay? And then we get this whole speech, which is, this is what won her the Oscar, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I don't get it. What does getting to Trotter's files have anything to do with hunting? Well, you know, two guys out in the woods, guns, on the hunt. It's a bonding thing, you know? Show him I'm one of the boys. He's not going to let me look at his files, but, you know, maybe he'll relax enough to drop his guard so that I can finesse a little information out of him. What am I gonna wear? What are you gonna hunt? I don't know. He got uh, he's got a lot of stuffed heads in his office. Heads? What kind of heads? I don't know. He's got a boar, a bear, a couple of deer. Whoa! You're gonna shoot a deer? I don't know. I suppose. I mean, I'm a man's man. I could go deer hunting. A sweet, innocent, harmless, leaf-eating, doe-eyed little deer. Hey, Lisa. I'm not going to go out there just to wimp out, you know? I mean, the guy will lose respect for me. Would you rather have that? What about these pants I got on? You think they're okay? Oh! Imagine you're a deer. 
You're prancing along, you get thirsty, you spot a little brook, you put your little dear lips down to the cool, clear water. Bam! A fucking bullet rips off part of your head. Your brains are laying on the ground in little bloody pieces. Now I ask you, would you give a fuck what kind of pants the son of a bitch who shot you was wearing? <laughs> the way she says, dear. A doe-eyed little dear. I mean, Rachel's so annoyed with me because I say that all the time. And my impersonations, as you know, awful. So, no, they're real perfect. bad. I, if she's telling you they're awful, she's getting that wrong. Yeah, Rachel, you heard it here. They're perfect. So it's it's great because now we know that he has all these files. Secretary, you know, Xerox them over for him. He has everything. But when he comes back and she's like, oh, yeah, you ever wonder maybe why he gave you all those files? Or he doesn't just think you're a nice guy. He has to, you dipshit. <laughs> yeah, It's exactly. called disclosure. What the fuck is wrong with you? You are fucking this up. <laughs> Get your shit together. I love that he doesn't like yep. that she's reading the book. Oh, I know, right? And I, I did read something about the fact that whenever we see Vinny reading the book, it looks like he's really concentrating hard, and he's kind of like he grabs his the bridge of his nose. And they had a thing in there in the script where he has dyslexia. Yeah, I, saw, I read that And so too. it kind of got like cut out, but it makes sense because he's played as that kind of character because he's not dumb. It just takes him a while to get through through this stuff. But I guess they didn't really know how to film dyslexia was showing the words, you know, letters all jumbled up and, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. doing that, you know, it, it adds to it just like the whole Al Pacino thing with having the coke addiction in Heat. Yeah, exactly. It now rounds out the character a little more. <laughs> But yeah, so he finally, like, after that, now we're kind of cooking with yep. gas. We're we're investigating, we're talking to people who have seen stuff, and you can sort of see the gears turning with Vinny. He's like, oh, I, I okay, I kind of know where I need to go with this. And he's getting told things that kind of tie into some information that he found out earlier. And then we get to, it's time for trial. Now, again, they're going to trial real fast yeah, they on are. this murder. Like, real fast. The first thing they do is jury voir dire, and that's where if anybody's had jury duty, you sit in the box and you get asked questions, and you have to answer, you know, some form questions, some specific questions. And I've always loved the part where Lane Smith's asking, like, "Hey, you know, this case could potentially have death penalty. Is that something?" And the woman's like, "Well, I think the victim's family should have a have the decision." And he goes, "Well." This is what they were charged with. This is what they're accused of doing. And she goes, fry them. And he just turns around with the thumbs up and goes, she'll do. <laughs> it's so perfect. Oh, God. If if jury selection was that easy. Oh, my God. Yeah, uh, it's great, man. Not quite how you get to do it, but uh, it's it's such a great scene. And then we just get to this whole looking up Vincent Gambini as a lawyer issue with Judge Holler. Yeah. So he goes back into Chambers and... This is where really where we get Fred Gwynn just that voice, man. He just has one. And Yeah, he does. He's sitting there playing chess against himself, which I guess is what all intellectuals do. I've never in my life seen anyone do that, but apparently. I've thought about uh, it, but I don't know how I'd do it, so I'm not intellectual. There you go. <laughs> so he's like, Hey, I got some bad news. They know Vincent Gambini practicing in any courts, <laughs> trying any trials in the state of New York. And I got to give Vin credit for coming up with this lie, like, on the spot. Oh, totally. Totally. I think he yeah, might yeah. have rehearsed this with Mona Lisa because he knew this shit was coming. Yeah. And, and this is the one, like, I know we've nitpicked a couple of legal issues. This is a huge hole in the plot. This doesn't have anything to do with law being accurate or anything. But, like, if you call the state bar or any agency, 
he did pass the bar as Vincent LaGuardia Gambini. Like, they would have just sent a sheet back. They'd been like, he's been barred for six months. Uh, here, here's his birth date. Uh, here's his business address. You know, whatever it is. And so uh, the fact that they just sent a sheet that was like, we don't have a record of him trying any cases in this. That was that was some help from the clerk's office. Appreciate yeah, that. Totally, totally. So he gives him the name Jerry Gallo, which famous attorney, I guess, in, in the movie in, uh, in New York. And I love when he's like explaining to Lisa about that. Like, oh, yeah, he was that big attorney. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I thought it'd be good, you know, give myself some some cred. Oh, yeah, he was in the news. Yeah, I saw that. You didn't read the actual <laughs> articles, though, did you, dipshit? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Why? Jerry Gallo's dead. And, I mean, so right then and there, I think that they come up with the idea for Jerry Callow or something like that. Or we, we don't see it. It happens off screen. But one of the other things we get now is they still can't sleep wherever they are. And yeah. Trotter has offered up his cabin, which is very quiet, secluded in the woods. And he goes there, and that's where he's doing his prep for, for trial. And that's where we get the one-piece flower outfit that we referenced earlier. And we get what perhaps is one of the most famous speeches and lines in this entire film about the biological clock. Well, I hate to bring it up because I know you got enough pressure on you already, but we agreed to get married as soon as you won your first case. Meanwhile, 10 years later, my niece, the daughter of my sister, is getting married. My biological clock is ticking like this, and the way this case is going, I ain't never getting married. Lisa, I don't need this. I swear to God, I do not need this right now, okay? I got a judge that's just aching to throw me in jail. An idiot who wants to fight me for $200. Slaughtered pigs, giant loud whistles. I ain't slept in five days. I got no money, a dress code problem, and a little murder case, which in the balance holds the lives of two innocent kids. Not to mention your biological clock, my career, your life, our marriage, and let me see, what else can we pile on? Is there any more shit we could pile on to the top of the outcome of this case? Is it possible? Maybe it was a bad time to bring it up. And that's the comic genius you see, like, overflow into the lethal weapons. Like, yeah. you didn't realize he's a genuinely funny actor. And... I like her comeback of like, okay, maybe it was a bad time. (laughs) (laughs) I love that she did that. And the writer wrote it in because I think I also read that he didn't want this kind of scene in there. And he had to write this because the studio wanted her to be not nagging is the wrong word, but wanted to be bugging him. And he's like, no, I don't. That's in every movie. I don't want that. And she never feels that way. It always feels authentic for her. Yeah, from what I read, the studio kind of wanted that stereotypical wet blanket. Yep. And I'm glad that they avoided that because she is the smartest person in this movie. Uh-huh. You know, and it, it's a it's a classic example of, no, you stay in your lane, you do your thing, the men have got it, right? Yep. And I love that she sits back and she's like, fuck it up. Keep fucking it up. Okay. <laughs> I mean, all you guys can't see how this is getting fucked up. You know, and, and that comes back to Bear even at the end where she's like, you think I'm a piece of shit? I'm not going to testify in your trial. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that happening. whole thing. Like, but yeah, that whole passage is fantastic. I did read where the owl was like a real owl. Yeah, that's crazy, right? And it really looked at him. You know, when things it's are just, meant to be, they're meant to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so they, they drive out into the middle of nowhere and they fall asleep and there's a rainstorm while they're sleeping. Have you ever been to Alabama? 
Uh, no, I've never been to Alabama. Okay, so you've not, have you ever seen red mud of any kind? We had a little bit of that in some places in North Carolina, but not to the extent that it's in this movie. Okay. I remember the first time I saw red mud, and you're just like, it's just mud, but it is sort of fascinating. It's got that, that pure color that because he's wearing the white Nikes, Yep, it's so great when he gets out of the car. Oh God! It's doing cartwheels in the uh, in the mud. Well, that is some of the best slapstick comedy I've ever seen in my life, and he plays it to perfection. Like that's, I, I don't care. Like fucking Jerry Lewis, whatever. You all take a backseat to Joe Pesci, in my opinion, in terms <laughs> of the ability to have this slapstick shit, because he's awesome. The facial expressions that he makes as he's trying to yep. get up and flips over, and then he's like, I love that he tries to take the fucking piece of wood out of the trunk and i don't give a shit what's in here i'll just throw it out there it's his suit obviously now the suit's covered in mud he's got a half an hour he's got to get to the fucking first day of trial and he has to get a secondhand suit and he looks like a fucking magician it's it's just funny like how do you come up with that that's always we've said that a million times with a lot of the movies that we've talked about but like how do you come up with the magician suit i mean and it all looks on paper like this isn't gonna work and yeah. this movie as a whole, in my opinion, with the tone it has, should not work at all. It should not no. be this fucking good. But it is. And that's the stuff where you kind of got to trust the writer, kind of kind of trust the director, trust the actors, that there's a vision there. And it may not look good in pieces, but when it all comes together, it's going to be great. Well, and, you know, when he walks in with the magician's outfit on, <laughs> I've seen this movie scores of times. I laugh every time. I can't yep. not laugh. Between the the two parts that get me the most are Austin Pendleton's opening statement where he's stuttering all over the place and uh, the magician suit. Yeah, it's it's great. It's it's hilarious because that's what you would do with this fucking town. And his explanation to the judge of like that suit got dirty. I know you don't like the leathers, so I had to find this. The whole store that has the suit that could give me a new suit, they got the flu. So now I had to go to this secondhand place and wear this ridiculous thing for you. <laughs> well, you're still in contempt. Oh, there's a fucking surprise. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so you're still going to go to jail. But now we're finally starting to see Vinny get some some wins here because he's doing the, the cross-examination. And we get what, I guess, you know, I said biological clock, maybe the most known... This is probably the line that everyone thinks about when they think of my cousin Vinny is the exchange with the judge right here. Is it possible the two youths... Uh, to what? Uh, what was that word? Uh, what word? To what? What? Did you say youths? Yeah, two youths. What is a youth? Oh, excuse me, Your Honor. Two youths. And that was apparently a real conversation. I read that too. That's crazy, right? Like Joe Pesci had that conversation with like the director or something. And uh, it's crazy how those things happen and, and they work so well. Iconic. Iconic yeah. shit. So Cole, when he cross-examines the first dude here, it's the first guy who was like making breakfast and saw the crime happen. Yeah. What kind of happens there? This is where we really get into where this movie excels from a legal standpoint. Like from here all the way out, the cross-examination is super accurate. It's it's quickened up because, you know, a cross-examination can easily take a day. I don't know with a witness like this, but it's really well put together. And his tone through his cross-examinations are so good because sometimes, you know, for certain witnesses it has to be super serious. But there's a lot of times where it's sort of like, come on, 
You know what I'm saying. You see where I'm going with this. Um, and so when he's talking through the grits, and when he gets into the part where he says, do the laws of physics cease to exist in your kitchen? <laughs> I watched a trial where I was doing a trial with an associate of mine, and he looked at a cop and was like, I'm sorry, do you have like a sixth sense nobody knows about? You're telling me you could sense his blood pressure went up? <laughs> And that got objected to, and before the judge could rule on it, he goes, no, that's a perfectly fair question. <laughs> Jesus. It was a contentious trial. but Yeah, it uh, sounds like some hostile witnesses in that one as well. Well, when you're, when you're spending three weeks on a misdemeanor, you get a little, little hot under the collar. No shit. Um, but anyway, this witness was great. And I love, you know, a point that you made at the beginning was that, you, you know, all the people are like good people is... None of these witnesses are trying to hang the boys up. Nope. He's like, you know what? Maybe I was mistaken. Maybe I maybe I wasn't right about that five minutes. Yeah. You know? I want to see Jimmy Willis's killer brought to justice, but I don't want to see an innocent person go down for it yeah. at all. Right? All the evidence I've seen, like, I I saw this car. I thought, you know, these two guys matched the description. I, I mean, how many? Yeah, it's got to be them, right? You know, yeah. that whole thing. And uh, when he's like, well, maybe I, maybe I was wrong. But don't worry. He makes it up. In a uh, classic called Mystery Alaska, where he plays an attorney <laughs> who dies for the cause of a hockey game on the pond up in Alaska. So, thank you for getting it wrong in this case, but getting it right in a Russell Crowe movie. Uh, yeah, but so all that goes well, and then when you see Stan go, I want him. I wish Vinny would have turned around and been like, fuck you. No. <laughs> no. I want nothing to do with you, fucking piece of shit. I love that he goes to jail and he's telling Mona Lisa, like, hey, I'm doing good, right? And she's like, I'll figure out how to get the money to bail. No, no, no. I'm going to sleep in prison tonight. Sleeps like a fucking baby. There's a prison riot going on. It's like, <laughs> I can sleep through this shit. I'm from New York. I love that subtlety there. It's just not, yeah. not that it's subtle, but I love that that's there because it's like, yeah, it makes sense. Like, Because I've had that. Have you had that experience before where... If the noise is kind of constant, you can sleep yeah. through it. But if it's just deafening silence, I think they did this on It's Always Sunny when they went out yeah. to the suburbs on that one that one time. It's like, it's so silent that any noise I hear wakes me up. Well, I remember when Jess and I, and I think you were there, uh, we were out in Palm Springs and that like rooster started going <laughs> off. Started roosting. Yeah. We, we, <laughs> once you roost, I can't go back to sleep. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was Indio. That was interesting place, yeah. man. Airbnb <laughs> takes you to some fun fun destinations, that's for sure. Yeah. Hey, the AC worked in that house. That's all I care about. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so now he's cross-examining people. And, I mean, he got the guy here who's got the dirty screen, the dirty windows, the trees with the leaves and the bushes. And that exchange where he's like, you know, yeah, trees. Don't be afraid. Shout it out when you know what it is. <laughs> he's like... How many bushes are there? Five. Don't forget ah. this one and this one. And then the guy thinks for a second. Seven. That's right. Seven bushes. <laughs> seven bushes. I love it. It's, it's genius writing because, again, as you said, that's where the comedy is in this fucking movie. It's so fucking funny during this trial. I mean, that guy's now discredited or, or his, his testimony is like, okay, well, probably couldn't tell who the people were in the span of two seconds through all this, this shit. We right. have um, the woman with the thick-ass goddamn glasses who can't see from 50 feet away but says it's about 100 feet to the store. And so, okay, now we've got everything. We're cutting down all this stuff that looked like an open-and-shut case. 
we are cutting it down. But then, as with a good film, we got a surprise up our sleeve here because it looks like they're going to easily win this, and then Trotter has something up his sleeve. Well, and what I really like is that it looks like we're going to, oh, (laughs) why isn't Trotter already dismissing the case? Because you forget for a minute the biggest problem is the car. Yeah. Like, even though the testimony, I, I know what's coming at the end of the movie is you're like, Oh, well, all the eyewitness testimonies just bunked, but all those eyewitnesses are like, yeah, but I saw this mint green, old ass, really, you know, probably not rare car in the general scheme of things in 1964, but in 1992 or whatever, fairly yep. rare looking automobile. You sort, you just for that split second, you're like, oh shit. I mean, you get that in a ton of trials that happen in real life where you're like, oh, we've beaten up all this evidence. Yeah, but there's that one real bad, you know, really difficult, <laughs> don't know what I'm going to do with it. A uh, piece of evidence. Smoking gun, as they call it. <laughs> yeah, hanging out there is really difficult. So, you know, when Trotter calls up and is like, hey, I got a secret. And he goes, should I be scared? He said, well, I would be. I'll disclose it in the morning. And I, lo- I love how Vinny, like, chest pumped out. It's like, you know you have to disclose that to me. And I always want him to finish that, you know, because my fiance told me. Because <laughs> um, for some reason I got through law school without knowing that one. But he's like, well, I'll disclose it in the morning. The DA is probably going to be like, I got an expert coming in because when you have an expert, you got to give a report. You got to give me the report of what the expert's going to say. And, ah. you know, all of those things, which this film decides this little piece of procedure I'm going to put in. So when we go the next morning, Vin makes that objection, right? Yep, he does. You know, he gets there in the morning and he makes that objection. And he says, hey, I don't want this guy coming in. I haven't had an opportunity to review. I haven't been given a report. I certainly haven't had an opportunity to investigate what he's going to testify to or to bring in an expert witness to counter the veracity of his claims. All these things, which is a perfect objection. And then Judge Holler gives Bill and Stan a fucking gift by overruling the objection. Yep. That's that's a Christmas present because that if it went to appeal would immediately get turned over. Uh, that's reversible error every day of the week. But so he says, no, we're going to go forward. Sorry. Which I don't get. Like, I, I get for the movie, I get for dramatic purposes, but Judge Hollow, that's the only part where you're like, now you're being a dick. Yeah, exactly. Um, so now uh, we get to your old buddy, James Redhorn. <laughs> yeah. He knows about Area 51. He also knows about tires. Yeah. Yeah. Well rounded. Very, very well rounded. So yeah, George has done all these tests because he got the car and he's got the tires that are obviously on the car that Stan and Bill were in and he's got the tire tracks and the velocity was such that they made all these marks and so he can test all this and they discover that it's the same size and model tire and I think there's something about the chemical composition as well. The chemical composition between the two samples was found to be identical. Identical. Ah. Identical. <laughs> so perfect. I love it. I love it. Great oh, fucking God. delivery. He's getting into it. So this looks like, oh shit. I mean, we know that car sped away. We have all the witnesses can say that that's the car they saw speed away. You can try to discredit all the ones you want, but you have all of them saying the same thing. That's a tough sell. And so we look like we're fucked right now. Yeah. And Bill and Stan, or that that's it. And... We end up, Vinny's like, look, there's all this new information, this new evidence. Can we request a continuance for a day? He's like, no, you got 60 minutes for lunch. <laughs> yeah, that's also insane. Um, 
I do appreciate though that throughout the entire trial process, it's a very accurate representation of the fact that this that when you're in trial, the case is yeah. on your mind twenty four seven. Like there is no break. Like you you'll sleep or whatever, but there's just no break. So when he goes to lunch every time, he's looking at pictures, he's looking at reports. That is just what it is, and I, I really enjoyed them doing that without them pointing out that they were doing that. You know, without him saying a million times. I can't get this case off my mind. I can't get this case off my mind. I can't, you know, whatever. It's just like, it's a constant until it's over. That's you live with a trial. Like Jess knows when I'm in trial, I'm just like a ghost. Like it's just, that's all I do. And so when they get to the lunch and he's looking through the pictures and he's looking through whatever, you know, for the cars or whatever. And then Lisa comes in. Can I help? Can I help? No, you can't help. I wish you could, but you can't. Look how you're looking at me. Look how you, what does that look supposed to mean? I'm a piece of shit, because I can't figure out a way for you to help? Okay, you help. We'll use your pictures. Ah, these are gonna be, you know, I'm sorry, these are gonna be a help. I should have looked at these pictures before. I like this, this is uh, this is our first hotel room, right? That'll intimidate Trotter. Here's one of me from behind. And I didn't think I could feel worse than I did a couple of seconds ago, thank you. Ah, here's a good one of the tire marks. Could we get any farther away? Where'd you shoot this, from up in a tree? What's this over here? What? It's dog shit. Dog shit, that's great. Dog shit, what a clue. Why didn't I think of that? Here's one of me reading, terrific. I should have asked you a long time ago for these pictures. Holy shit. You got it, honey. You did it. The case cracker, me in the shower. I love this. That's it. That is it. I'm out of here. Lisa. That's great. Like, that's just... I I love the realism. Yeah, and I think you understand where both of them are coming from. Because he's, like, he thinks he has this trial under control. And now he's got this curveball. And he doesn't know if he can hit it. And so we're going to find out here, like, I got to find something. Some kind of thing that's going to solve this whole this whole case for me and she just wants to be supportive but he's like not focused on anything that she that she wants at this point the thing that makes no sense to me is that he's already said she knows everything about cars i can't believe they weren't at lunch together him going did you you listen to everything yeah. he said what, what what do we got exactly no i agree with you on that and it goes back to you know this this mentality of like <laughs> the men have got it you just be right there. I've got it. There's nothing you can do. So when we get back to the court, I also really appreciated when Stan and Bill were like, "Hey, Vin, what'd very you find?" Little. And he's like, "Very, very little." That's it. That's it. And yeah. that's a difficult conversation to have. You know, it's easy actually when your when your client is an asshole. I don't want to say it's an easier conversation to have because I you know hate to lose, but you know if they're being jerks, it's always <laughs> easy to be like, "Sit down, shut up, be right over there." But you know, particularly like talking to your cousin to be like, uh, "I found." Very, very little. And we find out what the very, very little he found is because he asked Wilbur, what's the most popular size and model tire that's in the United States right now? Oh, it just happens to be the tires that are on the defendant's car. Okay, that's it. You know, I that's it. And yep. so now the prosecution rests. So now it's on the defense to call witnesses. And Vinny doesn't have any witnesses. And then he sees the pictures because he has Lisa's pictures that she had taken. And he sees the two different the tire marks there. And... Everything spins. You have the epiphany. You know that he has this thing. As the viewer, you don't know what that thing is, but you know, oh shit, there's something's happening here. 
and it happened so quick he asked for like yep. a recess because his witness isn't there he'll give him three minutes so he's got to go over to sheriff farley he's like can you look this up so Vinny already has the conclusion he knows what the car is that they should be looking for because he knows that there's a difference in these in these tire tracks it's happened so quick it's filmed so well pesci sells it so perfectly that I mean, my blood pressure gets up whenever I watch it because I'm like, oh shit, this is so exciting now. Oh yeah, you're really pulling for for Bill, not so much for Stan, but you're really pulling for Bill to to, to win this thing, right? And you just don't want to see these these guys go down. And as you talked about earlier, now he needs Lisa because she's going to be the expert testimony to rebut what Wilbur has said. And he gets her in there. And can we go over? The voir dire that Lane Smith has to do. Is this typical? Sure. Would he be the one doing this? Could he, like, he's going to be the one that's going to be the ex- asking them to confirm that they're an expert? How does that all kind of work? Yeah, that's all fairly accurate. I mean, you'll have certain judges who, you know, I, most of the judges I know would want to do that sort of okay. voir dire outside the presence of the jury. So they would voir dire, once they determine that she can be an expert witness, they bring the jury back in, and then you would go back through the qualifications. Uh, you do have to lay the foundation for the qualifications, which is why they went pretty quickly through them. But with George Wilbur, they were like, hey, you know, what's your job? How long have you been doing it? All that stuff um, to lay the foundation that allows you to be an expert. But the questions that he okay. asked, it would be the DA asking the questions. The judge typically would be able to intersperse a question uh, of his own if he wanted. It's fairly rare, but that can happen. And then him quizzing her. Uh, the only weird part about it was is that the okay. initial voir dire happened in front of the jury. But this is totally realistic. Like all of the expert testimony is totally realistic. The impeachment of the expert testimony is realistic. And everything that he does with Mona Lisa is spectacular. It's just, it's all sped up because it would take significantly longer to do it. But I, I got to give Lane Smith some credit for knowing this <laughs> random fucking question off the top of his head about the proper ignition time. Yeah. Of like Bel Air or whatever it I was. I don't even know. I don't even remember. And I don't even know what ignition time is. Uh,. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm not a car guy, so I would have been like, so what color was the first car I ever owned? She doesn't know, Your Honor. I love the pride on Vinny's face when he sits back and he turns the bill and he's like, watch this. And she just, like, yeah. she goes off. It all looks so real. Obviously, she's memorized this. I don't think Marissa Tomei's like, a car expert. But it's delivered so genuinely. Like, this is exactly how that person would deliver this. Well, and not only that person, but like how many times do you think she's been laughed at or questioned about whether she even knew how to like change oil in her father's shop where she's like, look, you fucking dipshits don't know anything. And I love the attitude. I love that she's pissed at Vin, but I also love when Vin gets her on the stand and is like (laughs) pretty impressive, right? And she's cute too. Yeah. Like when he gets Wilbur back on the stand, it's like, yeah, Oh, it's always, it's always good. What are we talking about? And so this is the first and pretty much last time I've ever heard of pause attraction and independent rear suspension. Yep. And so the only way that the car could have made those is if it was, I think, a Corvette or a 1963 Pontiac Tempest. And it's my understanding those cannot be confused. You could not confuse those, but they were both made by GM. You could confuse it with the Buick Skylark. They were both available in metallic mint green paint. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we find out because now... You know, Vinny calls up Sheriff Farley and he's like, so what'd you find out? And he's like, well, on a hunch, thanks to you, Vinny. I love the way 
Uh, McGill <laughs> says that. It's so perfect. There was a stolen 1963 Pontiac Tempest. 357 Magnum was in the possession of the suspects. And it all fits now. We all we, we figured it all out. It's it's great. Yeah. And it all wraps up. And her testimony's fantastic. And her back and forth with Pesci's great. And even Judge Holler gets in on it. And he's, he's just fascinated when he's like, yeah. I, I just, <laughs> okay, wow, this is incredible. You know, and what I love is... You see the defeat on Trotter's face, but he's also not upset. Yeah, we know who did it like, now. But we got the guys. We're gonna we're gonna get the guys. So he wants to dismiss all charges and does it with a smile on his face. And they win the case, and they got to run out. And we kind of skipped over this, but it's you know it's, yep. it's again the Callow ja- uh, Gallo thing where Holler found out Gallo was dead, and they got to beat feet before he finds out that Gambini's not a lawyer. But because again. The person orchestrating all the victories uh-huh. in this case is actually Mona Lisa. She had made a call to Vinny's mentor and been like, he's in some trouble. We need you to send a letter of some kind over here to say that Vincent Callow is yeah. a, an amazing yeah, lawyer. Yeah, yeah. Or Joey Callow, rather, or whatever. So um, they're running out, and I love the scene where he's running out. He just won a big-ass murder case. He just saved the life of his cousin. His cousin's just like... I love you so much. I, I just, I, I don't know what to say. He's like, you know what? <laughs> Sit on it. Think about the right words. When you get them, you give me a call. You get back to New York. It'll be all good. Okay, I got to go. I got to roll. And like the judge is outside the courthouse waving. The DA is waving. It's a great final scene. The defendants are waving. <laughs> just this. It's incredible. And now I'm just pissed off that like every time I leave court in the <laughs> afternoon, I look back and nobody's waving. Nobody's oh, waving God. to me. I never, I never saw it coming. I mean, it's so genius to have Judge Malloy because he just mentioned his name like, once in the beginning when telling the story and obviously Mona Lisa would know about him yep. and having him just drop the facts about Jerry Callow. It's just, it's great. It's, it's, it's a genius kind of thing. Cause you totally forgot about it. And then when it comes back, you're like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Well, yeah. And in most movies they make all the pieces fit, but this didn't feel orchestrated. No. This just felt organic off of every incidental conversation that he had. It's just, it's just such a good movie. Like I just, I feel so good when I finish watching this film and I'm so glad like they, they wanted to do a sequel and they didn't yep. do it because Marissa Tomei didn't want to do it. Now I read her and Pesci are in on doing it, but I hope that never happens. Oh, me too. I think the idea was like Vinny goes to Europe. I don't need that. Yeah. And, and I know they wanted to make it, uh, I read somewhere where either with books or movies, they wanted to make it like a franchise where like she's the investigator and they go off and do their whole thing or yep. whatever it was. And I'm like, yep, didn't need that either. Like this is such a great one-off spectacular movie because if I watch too many, you know, how many cases are they going to have where knowing how long to cook a grit is important and knowing what pause attraction is like, it just works out so incredibly well. And this is one of those, again, perfect films. We're on a really good run here. By yeah. The way, it's almost like, like we're just, picking ones. We know are really good. Not totally random, man. Totally random. It's crazy. <laughs> I love the end scene when they're driving off and she's like, Oh, so now you think I'm going to marry you and all that kind of stuff. And they're just yeah. arguing, and we get the camera just going up, and it's yep. just, it's great. Like, they're going to continue living their life. Their dynamic works. They're perfect together. Uh, we see that as the viewer, and everything works out. I'm assuming Stan and Bill drive off to UCLA with a hell of yep. a story to tell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, well, it, I mean, I thought at the beginning of the movie they were going to miss the first semester, but they went to, they got arrested prelim trial all in about eight days so they probably didn't miss too much no no they might not be able to get a couple classes they wanted but they probably got a good right. note about it <laughs> <laughs> but so okay off of this thing man what are your recommendations so 
Uh, I'm going to stick with the people that are in this film. So for Joe Pesci, I obviously got Goodfellas. I think I've mentioned that film a few times on here. Um, no I hear you like there. it. Watch it's that. Good. It's not. It's not as good as Dances with Wolves, says the Academy. So we're not going to even discuss that. Uh, Call that a W for me. <laughs> oh, whatever. We're going to skip right past that. <laughs> from Marissa Tomei, I got Untamed Heart. This is a Christian Slater movie with her and Rosie Perez. I like this film. It's a good movie. Yeah, it's Enjoyable. a good movie. Uh, Baboon Heart. So watch out for that. And for Lane Smith, uh, I have Son-in-Law. Great Lane Smith Yeah, you do. I was so pumped when you had that on the list because I was going to wreck it. Yeah. Oh, man. We got Lane Smith and Tiffany Amber Thiessen. It's a perfect movie for me. Really, really is the case. And Carla Gugino, who, as you know, special place in my heart for her. That's the first time I ever saw her. Yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. And then for Austin Pendleton, I have a film called (laughs) Wishcraft. Which is a movie from like the early 2000s. I discovered this fucker on like HBO or something. It is surprisingly enjoyable for an early 2000s horror that is kind of like, hmm, nothing great, but honestly not that bad. And I don't know. It's a fun little movie. He was also in a movie I recently saw called What's Up Doc, the Peter Bogdanovich film. Hadn't seen that in a long time. He's in that. He's great in that. So, uh, yeah. What about you, Cole? Uh, So, since you took my tack of going with, like, who's in the movie, I went with law movies. And there's no surprises here. If you enjoy law represented about as well as you'll see it in film, check out To Kill a Mockingbird, obviously. Uh, The Verdict. Paul Newman's just so good in that film. I mean, I I have a soft spot in my heart for Paul Newman, but he's incredible. And then the 1957 12 Angry Men. This movie has is in the running for the best pacing of any movie you'll ever see. It's a spectacular film. uh, And for a movie to be that compelling that happens in like one room, Uh it's... It's an incredible film. So that's what I have uh, off of this. Anything else to add to My Cousin Vinny before we uh, let the folks go? No, but just uh, if you haven't seen it, definitely watch it. And if you have seen it, watch the fucker again because it's so damn good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. So, guys, don't forget, you can always find us at SigBurnsPod on Twitter and Instagram. You can email us at CigaretteBurnsPodcast at Yahoo.com. Keep coming with the suggestions for movies we should watch. And uh, we're having a, a lot of fun reading your emails and everything. Really appreciate it. And if you guys uh, subscribe, rate, and review, uh, let us know always what we're doing well, what we're not doing so well, because we want to make this fun for everybody. And we will see you guys next time. You know, Later, like Birders. Vinny, like you read that script. Right. Because you don't get the juicy lines. That, no, I didn't. I, I was the, my cousin Vinny was funny on the page, funnier on the screen. Oh, was. That was, uh, that was one of the most well-crafted com- American comedy scripts as far as setups, payoffs, and all. every setup paid off better than you you knew it was coming, and it was even better, you know? But, but people didn't know Pesci was capable of being funny like right. that. Right. Funny, funny, ha-ha funny? Yeah. You, I mean, you just threw me a beach ball yeah, I know, I middle did. in. I know. And, and, and Marissa, Marissa Tomei <laughs> was, was breakout. just spectacular. Spectacular performance. And all the other, you know, Fred, Fred Gwynn. Fred Gwynn, and his, that was his last performance. Yeah. Um, he was Herman Munster. Yes, he was. Yeah. I remember Joe saying, because, you know, he was, at first Joe was like, I don't know if he's right. I don't know. You know, he's like Herman Munster. I said, I'm the karate kid. You're a wise guy. Just let it go. He's perfect. 
But and and, and just just them holding them in the same frame was hilarious. You Utes though. The two Utes. The two Utes. You still get that. Yeah, right? all the time. But that's it's just it's so awesome. It's so great. It's, it's awesome. So, yeah. You know, I did not shoot the cleric. I've actually signed cans of tuna <laughs> for people. People have brought me cans of tuna, and they said, "Would you sign?" Uh, you know, I shot the clerk, and I said, "Only if I could put a question mark after it." Because that's one of the things when we shot that film, we went on and on. They we reshot that scene because the studio wanted it to be a question yet a statement. That was like the toughest acting exercise I ever had.